Hello, I'm Sami Aryan. I'm a tech philosopher and the founder of Impeak. My guest on today's podcast goes by the name Captain CK. He's one of the bright young minds of Web3 who knows how to hustle and is determined to make his mark on the space. CK was introduced to me to help run our collaborations for Impeak, and I found him to be very insightful. He's also working on a number of his own projects, which sound very promising. So I thought it would be a good idea to get him on the podcast and have a conversation. I hope you enjoy. Carson, thank you for being here. Uh, when um, Black Bull, uh, aka Ali, or, or the other way around, Ali, aka Black Bull, introduced us, I didn't realize that um, it was you. And we have spoken before. Uh, we spoke uh, before about your uh, project house. Uh, and uh, now you're working with us, you're helping us with our collaborations with other communities. So um, today I wanted to talk a little bit about the various things that you're working on, but also most importantly about your experience as, um, as a collaboration, um, I, I suppose architect, right? Like, like it's not exactly a collab manager, right? Yeah. What you're doing, you're architecting, you're orchestrating, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I thought that it would be a good opportunity for us to kind of dive deeper into how you see the space changing um over the uh, over the you know past months and and where you think it's going and um it, you know i have some uh, some thoughts some concerns about how things are changing in the space you know what is sustainable what is not sustainable at as um web3 is becoming more mature you know so so it'd be interesting to pick your brain on um, the things that you are observing. And I think from the viewpoint of somebody who is orchestrating all these collaborations between different uh, communities, I think mm -hmm. um, you will probably pick on uh, some nuances that uh, for a lot of people looking from the outside, they might not necessarily know. So first things first, um, do you want to explain a little bit about, you, you know, introduce yourself a bit and then say, um, what is like what what is it that you're working on these days and how you got to uh, working on what you're doing right now? Yeah, for sure. Let's do it. So I do quite a bit in the space. Most people know me as CK. That's kind of what I go by. I recently rebranded myself to Captain CK. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But primarily within the space, the main thing I do is I run a consultancy. I do go to market strategy advising collab management, marketing, really everything under the sun to help IP enter the space the right way. You know, I think the niche I've kind of built for myself, which I mean, I, I think is really awesome, is working with a lot of the higher quality leads in the space because they just require a different level of intentionality. You know, you can't just run a collab round with Warner Records and really have it be capitalized to its full level because there's so much resource on the table and there's so much more that these that these big brands can can do to be successful. And you know, there's so you have to be so delicate with the IP. Like it's just a different game. And so that's primarily what I do. I've worked with a lot of more notable IP, including Warner Records, Bose, CNN, Voyagers, the Smurfs, and most recently Zepetto. But yeah, that's that's the main thing I do in the space. On top of that, through my consultancy, I also have a service wing where I just do like collab management or I have other services I offer that, I mean, allow me to capitalize on kind of the network I've developed through collab management, through advising and through through my consultancy as a whole. 
On top of that, I also use my consultancy to identify the brands I really want to stick with and work with long-term. The main ones I would say are House, Probably Nothing, and Fusion XYZ. You know, I kind of got my start in the space actually with Probably Nothing. And if you don't know, or if anyone doesn't know, that's Jeremy Falls' brand. And he was, he was my first job. He kind of took a chance on me, and I'm eternally grateful for that because I was incredibly unqualified for the position he hired me for. And I mean, looking back, it's just, it's crazy to kind of see where I came from, but yeah, that's kind of how I got my start. Very nice. So um, yeah. So Jeremy is coming on the podcast as well. Thanks to you. Uh, you made the introduction. So how uh, did you uh, get started there? Were you like um, um, a member in his community? Uh, is that, is that how it started? So I actually was an alpha caller in the heart project. I don't know if you know of the heart project is kind of my, so I, I won't give a ton of context on it. It's, it was a really cool project though. It was really the project that got me believing in NFTs. You know, I was a whale. I held 20 and like, I didn't have a large portfolio. It was like 80% of my portfolio. Cause I just loved what they were doing. You know, I'm, personally not much of a creative and like the heart project is a super creative community so it's an interesting dynamic and i think kind of the reason i was that way with hearts is i mean th this is just like going off the top of my head like i'm i almost feel blessed that i'm not a creative because i think it's so hard and so vulnerable to like be a creative because you're essentially like taking your work and letting other people value it like that that is such a vulnerable and scary thing that like i just respect creative so much for it and the heart project is such an incredibly creative community you know like that's what it was about is all about like bringing artists together and i thought that was such a cool thing and so i just wanted to play my part in it and so i got involved with the team there i, I wasn't like paid or anything it was pretty unofficial but i was an alpha caller so i just i mean i helped people find different opportunities in the space and that was yeah that was really my very first role my first paid role was with jeremy but through that one of jeremy's team members before they launched probably nothing reached out to me and just wanted to have a conversation because i at the time i was kind of doing alpha calling a different way you know i've always been a big believer in like education you know, I think education is like the key to onboarding, you know, the key to actually getting people invested because like what made me my success in web three wasn't my, my ability to trade or make money. It was the fact that I got convicted and actually understood NFTs, you know? And so that's really what we need. And so I kind of took alpha calling from an educational perspective. And through that, I mean, people noticed it was, it was just an interesting thing to some people. And so I had a conversation with Jeremy through there. And I mean, we just kind of hit it off. You know, we had a great conversation about what he was getting ready to do in the space. And I had the experience and, and the knowledge through Alpha Calling to kind of identify what separates a good and successful project from a bad project, you know? And so that's what I believe is the real reason I was hired on is because I kind of had that perspective as an Alpha Caller. And so, yeah, really cool thing. That's kind of how I got to know Jeremy. He hired me as a community manager and I believe it was advisor. I know it was community manager. I honestly don't remember, which is weird, but I know, yeah, I, I came on as the community manager. I did some collab management. That was kind of my first taste of it was with Jeremy allocating the allow list spots for probably nothing and brokering some partnerships. But yeah, I, I started building out a community from there and it was really awesome. I actually loved community management. It was a really cool thing. Awesome. So, um, it sounds like you've got uh, quite a lot of uh, experience, both in 
uh, community management, uh, collab management, uh, you know, all, all these different things. So tell me, um, how how long have you been working in the Web3 space now? Eight months. Eight months. I started mm-hmm. April, April okay. last year, maybe. Okay. Very <laughs> I good. don't even really so that's, know to that's be honest. quite a short amount of time and you still you've you've done so much. That's amazing. So the, the speed of the space really suits you, I guess. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> if this is the speed in the bear market, imagine what it would be like when the next. Oh, week. yeah. Yeah, no, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Me too. Um, okay, so you mentioned alpha caller. So tell me a little bit about what that is exactly. Yeah, so I gotta be I gotta be careful with how I say this. <laughs> I don't want to say like investment advisor because obviously nothing's financial advice, but like it's it's someone who's very good at trading who shares <laughs> what they're trading, you know, who shares what they're looking at. Or I would say even in a broader sense, almost like an educator, I think is a good word because I think alpha can be taken from like a ton of different angles. You know, you have Bonglo, for example, he's my space co-host. I'm launching a media brand with him. He's, I connected you with him. Great alpha caller in the space, but like he takes everything from an educational standpoint. You know, he puts out these broad uh, macroeconomic summaries each week you know like he does cool stuff like that whereas you have other people who are doing entry and exit price on like random degenments you know it's like there's so many different ways you can take it i would say on a broad level it's an educator you know someone trying to help you get better at trading nfts whether that means you actually you know mirroring their trades or actually kind of building that mindset for you and building a framework to better evaluate nfts from a financial standpoint the the thing is is a bit of a tricky thing, isn't it? Because it's like, you know, once you become known as an alpha caller, uh, I suppose it's it's something that people then expect you to um uh, to always get it right. But then also there is this issue of maybe brands will um or you know other communities will approach you. I'm guessing you know to um it kind of like give them get, put a good word in for them right like that like there must be mm. all of these these complexities. oh yeah. yeah no there's so much there's so much ethical like gray area i would say because yes all of that happens people approach you to call their project people approach you to hire you people approach like there's there's just so much conversation that happens with alpha callers because they carry so much influence you know, I would say, I mean, there's there's honestly a good amount of liquidity demanded and controlled by these alpha callers. You know, you can go watch like an when an influential alpha caller calls a project, you will see the floor price pump. You know, there is volume coming in. It shows up on all of the trending pages. You know, it makes it actually makes a really, really big difference. And so, yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the reasons I don't alpha call anymore. I would say one of many reasons, but one of them is I didn't like like all the ethical dilemmas, you know, because you say your friend approaches you, they're launching a project that they want you to support. Like now, what do you do? Cause that's a tricky thing because maybe it's not something you would call on your own, but now you're calling something that might not be the best for your community, but it's your friend's project. So like, there's, there's just a lot of, I, I would say a lot of tiptoeing there that you have to just be careful with. And I mean, people try to pay you like there's, people who do take payments for alpha calling and that's incredibly unethical because you know they're literally i mean getting paid to give their community subpar information you know like it's it's not good and so it's just i think it's a dangerous a dangerous role to be in because there's just a lot of monetary incentive to give your community less than you should you know 
Yeah, and you mentioned something about volume. Um, I think with with royalties going possibly away, and and we can maybe this is this might be a good entry to that conversation. So, what's your um, what's your take on real uh, royalties? Uh, do you think they will be going away? Uh, do you think that they are not sustainable? Because it seems to me that one way or the other, they are potentially gonna go away. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it's a tricky thing. I mean, I think it sucks because I think royalties were one of the great use cases of NFTs. You know, the idea that an artist can or a creative or whoever can continue to profit off of their work after it's initially sold is amazing. You know, I think that onboarded probably so many artists because there's a lot of artists whose art's constantly getting traded around and they're only getting that primary sale. So it's such a cool use case. I don't think it'll necessarily go away. I think a lot of it will change. I mean, just to be transparent, like I'm not super educated on this topic. My understanding of contracts is you can have contracts that require royalties. You know, the way I see it going, and I, I might be wrong about this, is you're going to have you know, that technological barrier where now it's not necessarily marketplaces deciding it, but a lot of it's directly like in the contract, you know, like I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think OpenSea has contracts that do that where they can require it's like, it can only be traded on OpenSea and OpenSea requires royalty. Do you know if that's correct? Yeah. So no, actually, basically uh, what they're doing is that it's still going to be based on something that they have to do. So you're, you're still, relying on a on a third party right so so you can't build it into the contract because let's say for example what if somebody transfers it from one wallet of their own to some uh, to another wallet or or they yeah. gift it right like so it's it's really hard to build it into the contract um uh, what what OpenSea is doing is basically saying that if you don't trade it on other places, so so basically they want you to block the other other marketplaces so that you can only uh, trade there, um, which is just not sustainable because now as a result of that, Blur is coming back and saying that actually we want you to uh, you know block OpenSea. So so the problem isn't solved because the problem is that um, you know this is something that um, ultimately you're relying on a third party, which it goes against um, what, what blockchain was supposed to be about. So I think, I, I mean, personally, I think that royalties going away is potentially a good thing. I, I think there is more good to bad because of the because because of the royalty the whole concept of volume has become a thing and mm. you know and and uh, in, in reality it's not sustainable because we have seen for example i recently sold my proof pass you know and yeah. we have seen that the problem is that because the creators are incentivized to make the price want to go up and then when the price goes up they can't deliver the amount of value for that price mm. right like it's impossible yep. to deliver you know 70 80 eth worth of value right like and 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 people who buy in they still expect it to go up and it's just not sustainable now in my case i I wasn't expecting it to go up i was also wasn't expecting it to go Mm -hmm. down so much right so um so it's just yeah i think uh, that's one of the issues and the other one is um the thing that me and zanica talked about which was basically is that you're essentially profiting from people leaving your community and that's another another issue that's actually a big a big ideology behind the reason we designed house the way it is, is we're building out different monetization vessels because I mean, in theory with royalties, you only make money when people leave your community. If you're, if you're doing well, if you curate a community, well, if you build a a place that people want to be, people 
well, sell your NFT. And it's it's a huge conflict of interest because the most successful businesses now become the least profitable. You know, I look at one example, I'm not going to give a specific project, but there's a lot of projects that have Gen 1, Gen 2, Gen 3, Gen 4, you know, when they become more and more successful, they just have to keep dropping new collections because their top collections don't get volume. You go look at God Jira. They have a 13th floor on their Genesis with three listed. And the last sale was like four months ago. You know, it's just, it's a very common story where you have, I mean, incredibly successful projects not making money. And these successful projects have large teams to upkeep. And so I would say from that sense, I think it is somewhat positive for sure, because I think it also kind of changes the narrative and the expectation of projects because now it's, I mean, I think as a creator coming into the space, a lot of people think they can just be sustained off of royalties when I, I don't think that can realistically be done with the size of the market right now. You know, I don't think royalties, especially if you want to have a large team, like if it's an individual creative, that's different. But if you have a project that's like big with a team, you know, you need, you need sustainable revenue. And I don't think royalties are something you should be relying on. And I think with them going away, that's no longer part of the equation for a lot of people looking to launch projects. So I think it kind of shifts that expectation. Like you look at a lot of the bull run projects, like so few of them are here. I think, I mean, a lot of them, I think were just rug pulls, but I think a lot of them too, probably just ran out of money, you know, because they're like, oh, I got a million dollars. I'm making, you know, first month royalties, maybe 10 grand, you know, like this is good. This is great. You know, where this is sustainable when it's not, you know, you look now, a lot of those projects are getting like one sale a month or even less, you know, they're making 10 bucks a month, which just, it's not sustainable at all. So you mentioned that you're building other business models for house, but also um, you said that you're consulting and, and advising other projects. So what do you say to them? Like say uh, new projects wanting to come into the space, you know, knowing what we know now that royalties are not sustainable and that they have to potentially do this thing of blocking this um marketplace and that marketplace and then there are many people who don't like that you know there i know a lot of people were like if your mark if your project is let's say for example um if your project is blocking blur then i'm not gonna buy in and you know people have said that to me i mean not not that we have done that but you know people have said that to me and and it just makes me think so one of the things that we are actually doing with impeak genesis passes is that we are going to, um, over time, we are going to buy and burn them and, and reduce the, um, you know, the, the size and, and actually switch to a different business model. Um, so there will be only a small number of people who are, you know, early adopters that will be able to have that. And, and that will be my small kind of inner circle. Um, other than that, I'm just going to, over time, as we gain more success, I'm going to, you know, buy the floor, burn them and get rid of them um, because it's just like not sustainable, you know, like it's, uh, I'm, I'm not going to go down that route. And we are, uh, and we uh, also released the Gen 2, which we are then now burning. So we, we are actually, um, we uh, incentivize people to switch to a soulbound token and uh, we are going to have this pfp which is going to be free royalty free you know all that stuff mm -hmm. um but it's not really to make money at all with that it's more about uh, building a community and kind of like bringing awareness to what we are doing um so um, but but building other kind of business models around it so um just don't want to get trapped into that gen one gen two gen three gen four thing, oh yeah right? like you yeah don't it's want just that. Like impossible <laughs> right it's just not not sustainable so but what do you say to you know people coming in and starting now um how do you advise them most of these pfp projects especially they don't really have a product or service 
it's not mm-hmm. quite clear what they have. So how, how do you go about that? Yeah, so it's an interesting thing. I think one of the cool things as well, working with larger IP is there is funding, there is a brand behind it, you know, it's not necessarily about the money for the vast majority of these people, most of it's like consumer acquisition, you know, building a community, you know, there's an incredible amount of power in like cumulative action and having a community behind you. And that's something that I think really entices a lot of these big brands, It's like actually having a community, you know, you look at like, the way like apes are promoted, you know, like they have so many people using their branding as a profile picture. Like that's such a cool thing for them. And that's a really interesting thing to a lot of brands. So I would say for the vast majority, if not really all of them, like that's kind of the mindset is it's not really about the money, you know, it's, it's more so about building a community, getting people engaging with your product, you know, because most of these projects have quite a bit of funding or a large, a large backer to the point where, mint or royalties don't matter it might not be sustainable but the business behind it is sustainable and if they can leverage the community to make that business more successful then that's the model they're going for how do you see brands um or how do you explain the concept of community to them because you know when i go back to early days of me explaining social media to brands you know, uh, like I, in 2017, I made a, a documentary called The Millennial Disruption, came out 2018. Gary V was on it. People from The Economist, uh, Marie Claire Magazine, Bentley, Jaguar Land Rover, you know, and, and we were at the time we were talking about explaining to brands, um, you know, uh, uh, about social media. And, and that was difficult, like, you know, trying to explain to them that, you need to that that marketing is now a dialogue is not just a, a monologue is not it's not just a broadcast you know but community is another level of engagement and actually i did an interview with the team behind uh, game of thrones um nfts and they also did did it for i think it was matrix or something like that and they um you know and i mentioned how do you manage the community side of things and they actually found it they they mentioned that uh there is on the podcast that they found it quite difficult because it's it's uh, a lot of uh, engagement and and then of course then i look at uh, you know brands like moonbirds where i've been really deep into that community mm-hmm. and and i've been I, I i find that it actually gets very hard because you know, because you build a community and, and because of the monet, um, sort of monetized nature of Web3, um, it becomes quite hard for, um, uh, you know, for brands to maintain uh, that kind of excitement and relationship when uh, people buy at different prices and then the, there is like ups and downs. So, so it, it's all good and well until the price is going up, but th- which is m- one of my problems with tradable NFTs. You know, I'm like, okay, if it's uh, or t- uh, tradable tokens, because it's really hard to build a, a community when people are losing money. And oh, yeah. yeah, so, so, so how do you, uh, I, I, you know, there are two questions here. What let's first, um, uh, work on the, the first question, which is how do you explain the concept of community to bigger brands? Then that we can get to the next question is that now let's say it's not a big brand to start it to start with. Although, for example, Moonbirds is a big brand, right? But but still, it's very difficult because um, you know there are different market conditions and and people have got different expectations, and it's not always um, easy. So so um, so how how do you explain these nuances to uh, to people to brands? 
I mean, it's honestly hard. I would say the tricky thing about community is I think it's at the end of the day, what makes and breaks a project. You know, you look at, I mean, everyone tries to figure out like, hey, what's the uniting factor between every blue chip? I think it's pretty obvious it's community. <laughs> like they all have good communities, you know, that's that's what there is at the end of the day, you know, beyond utility and all that community is what's left. And I think the interesting thing about community is it's all it's incredibly hard. You know, I think the reason not to go on a huge tangent, I think the reason we haven't seen, you know, a real blue chip established in the bear market is because it all comes down to attention. You know, we're in an attention economy. Attention is more valuable than money. You know, that's why you have Diki Daigaku minting free. You know, they could mint paid, but they get way more attention because they're free. You know, that's why they got the hype. That's why they were such an interesting project is because they were minting for free. And so the interesting conversation I have to have with every brand and the nice thing about working with this IP is to build a successful community, it needs to, it really has to be new attention. And it, ha like, it is so hard to compete in that attention game. You know, it's so hard to build an active discord because everyone's in a hundred discords. I'm in hundreds of discords that I don't check, you know, and that's where most people are. You know, most people have their home community. I'm a, I'm a Moonbird holder. You know, I think that's the thing. That's the reason I bought a Moonbird is because I think they've done a better job than anyone of, of engaging the community. Go in the general chat. I guarantee you one of the last 10 messages will be a team member. And that's a crazy thing that you don't see in any other community. And so that's I think that's such an interesting thing and such a good thing about working with these brands is you have an opportunity to onboard new attention, you know, get new people engaged. And so that's that's a big thing I focus on with these brands is how can we use your brand to bring new attention into the space? Because you do not want to get in the ring of trying to compete for that same attention because it's so, so hard to get. And yeah, I mean, that that's really it. It's so hard to get attention if you don't yeah if if you're not getting new users the truth is though that the attention in most cases has come from price action you know that's that's the truth and yeah. uh, uh and i think that even in moonbirds that's a struggle now because we are because the market conditions and and yeah. not new entry entrants are which is and another thing that's like really really weird is like uh when the price goes down, all of a sudden people don't want to buy it. Like, it, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, I remember yeah. when uh, uh, moon bears were in the, in the 30 ETH, you know, everybody wanted it. Uh, yeah. And people are like, if it ever goes below, you know, 10 <laughs> ETH again, if it ever becomes, you know, a, uh, a one digit again, you know, I'm going to buy 10 of them. And now yeah. that it is on, uh, it is one digit, people don't want to buy it as much, <laughs> you know, because it's like, uh, you know, they're, um, yeah, it's, it's just a human psychology. So um, the one of the biggest problems, I think, in this, in this space, which I think is going to hold us back if we don't solve it, is the ex extreme um, monetization aspect of it. And uh, or, or finan financialization aspect of it, which is um, which brings the uh, the uh, game theory, uh, you know, like the game mm, theory of yeah. of of uh, build and creating these psychological, you know, um, barriers for people to uh, show interest in projects for uh, for a genuine reason, right? Like most people are buying into mm -hmm. them because of uh, various kinds of um, uh you know hopes for for gains and, and things like that so um when you look at the 
next um, generation of, of uh, you know, communities being built over the coming months. I understand that you mentioned that the attention, considering the, these new challenges being brought up by um, the royalty situation, by you know general um, market conditions. How do you see brands um, entering into this space, uh, being able to uh, to compete and and actually uh, being able to um, you know because. Like, do re- do people really want to go into yet another Discord? Let's say, for example, if if you're talking about Disney, right? Like, do I really want to be in the Discord, uh, Disney Discord? Like, do I really mm-hmm. want to be in? So I think the whole concept of community building, we are also starting to question a little bit. Exactly, it's not exactly what what uh, in the beginning it was fun because there were not that many. Now there are so many. So yeah. so um, how do you tackle that? I mean. I think it's kind of a similar answer to my last one, you know, onboarding, you know, finding a new segment and bringing them in. One example I'll give that was actually super successful with with the Smurf Society, which is a project I'm working with right now. One of our partnerships was with Lens Protocol. Do you know Lens by chance? Yeah, we are actually going to be uh, incorporating Lens Protocol into our platform. That's awesome. Yeah, I love Lens. They they did a great job. They're also going to have a channel on the on, on the platform. That's that's really exciting. Yeah, really, really awesome protocol. But they're we had a partnership with them, and you know they have a huge DeFi crew. A lot of people probably haven't touched NFTs. You know, we did one one post on their platform, and I think it was like the fifth most liked post. You know, people loved it. People wanted to engage, and we were actually able to bring a new segment into Web three through that. And it was such a cool thing because you go look at the Smurfs Discord, and there's like non NFT people in there. It's it's such a weird thing, but it's so successful because you go look and you go talk to a lot of Web three people. A lot of Web three people probably don't really know the Smurfs are here, but. I mean, you go look at our Discord and it's it's a different story because we managed to capture that new segment through the DeFi platform. And that's one of the really interesting things after kind of seeing that play out that I'm trying to do with my consultancy is really network with these different platforms where I can work to onboard people. Because I mean, onboarding people who haven't touched crypto or NFTs is incredibly hard, but DeFi people, it's not that hard. You know, they probably know what MetaMask is. You know, they know what these exchanges are. Like it's, 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 it's such an easier thing. And so I think that's such a powerful thing that I'm really trying to capitalize on. And that's like one of my big goals this year. And one of the things I try to do with networking is network like beyond just NFT people, you know, cause there's, there's so much value that really anyone can bring. And I think these DeFi platforms, especially like, I think there's so much mutual benefit Mm -hmm. i agree Uh, we are also doing something similar with um you know uh, so with the platform being rebranded soon uh, we are going to enable um people being able to have their own channels and then within the channels they'll be able to um monetize it through normal subscription or uh, you know, uh, or, or uh, tokenized, right? And yeah. uh, by doing that, uh, we are going to enable a lot of new people coming into the space, into the platform, and then um, they will see the option of, oh, I can monetize through tokens or I can monetize with normal uh, subscription. And then hopefully they will be thinking about what is a token or, or maybe if they are already familiar with, maybe they already have, because there are 350 million people who have crypto wallets, whereas the, there are like 40,000 NFT community right now. So, uh, so it's a much, much bigger um, uh, world out there. So one of the things that we are focusing on 
and tomorrow I actually have another meeting again with uh, with the team from Coin Bureau. You know, like also talking to you know, YouTubers who are um, who are uh, doing content around finance and crypto and and tokens in general, but not maybe they are not necessarily into the NFTs that much, and kind of like enabling them to uh, use the ERC seven twenty one business uh, model or you know smart, smart mm-hmm. contracts uh, to create businesses around it. So so I I agree that's definitely like the next sweet spot is people who at least have a wallet, you know, who yeah. have, who have ever bought a, a crypto and then, uh, you know, showing them that, Hey, actually this goes beyond just buying some crypto and, uh, and uh, saving it. Uh, you know, you can actually build a business around it, you know, that you can have a business model around it. So that's definitely the next um, sweet spot. Tell me more about Smurfs. So how, how did that come about? Did you, help them out from uh, from the beginning uh, yeah tell me a little bit about that yeah yeah i mean pretty much yeah i've been there pretty much from the beginning i wouldn't say from like the beginning of when they started building because they've been building for quite a while just for context it's it's a brand called blue planet licensing the smurfs ip and kind of their mission is they want to build a sustainability brand you know, because one of the powerful things that I mentioned earlier about NFTs is the idea of cumulative action, you know, and I mean, obviously the the need for sustainability is greater than it's ever been, you know, and so a lot of what they're trying to do and a lot of like the core vision behind it is to leverage this really well-known IP that everyone knows and loves and use it to, to kind of unite people behind a common vision and execute that vision together. So they're actually building out what they call a community for good, which is this cumulative action community that kind of works together to, to make the world a better and more sustainable place, which I think is a really cool thing. And they kind of, they have a few different pillars. I would say that's like the main pillar. And then they have another one that's actually gaming, which kind of doesn't seem like it goes together, but that was the way they actually built their community and their allocation method to actually like bring people into the community and allocate their allow list was through this game that they built on chain. And that's actually what our initial partnership with Lens consisted of is we had an on-chain game where people could trade assets and actually combine these assets to like make potions and engage in the ecosystem. And it was a really cool thing. And it actually worked incredibly well. Our first day with Lens, we launched it with Lens. Our first day, I think we had 25,000 users, which was insane. You know, it really goes to show how early we are when one DeFi platform can bring that many people. So it was a really, it was a really crazy thing, but that's, that's a little context on Smurfs. Okay, cool. Um, Very cool. So what's, um, uh, what's next for you? Uh, talk a little bit about what you're doing as a, um, you know, with 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 collapse. Uh, so you've got you've built a team, and um, you go out there, and and we are gonna do a session separately on the platform, specifically focused on, on um, you know, becoming a a collab manager. Um, can you explain to, um, you know, maybe people who are listening from uh, from outside Web three, but even people who are here, um, what is a collab manager exactly? you know, and what's, what's the scope of the role? Yeah. So I think a better place to start just to back up a little bit more would be to first define what is a collab, you know, so a collab at its core, I would call it highly targeted advertising. This is kind of the way I preach it to brands because it's a kind of a very, I, I don't know, it seems like a weird thing, but 
the market's so small, it's incredibly hard to actually reach consumers. The nice thing in the way collabs work is it's essentially exchanging the value you can offer as a brand. So your allow list, you know, assuming there's some sort of value to it for, for exposure within, within their server. So generally the way that works is you have a number of allow list spots. Let's say I go approach doodles with allow list spots from the Smurfs. I offer them, let's say a hundred Smurfs for essentially a little advertisement in their server through raffle. So you have raffling software like Premin or Alphabot, where you have these little segments that people can read about the project with spots attached where you can enter a raffle for following, joining the Discord, maybe doing something else. And so that's, I would say at a very basic level, that's kind of what a collab is. It's the primary vessel through which the majority of projects market you know, to actually reach those consumers because it does do a great job. You can get a lot of exposure through doing collabs. I would say the problem with collabs and where the sustainability problem long-term for collabs comes in is you're reaching all of the same people every time. You know, anytime any brand does collabs, you're reaching the same audience that every other project that does collabs do. You know, you go look at, I think I was reading this earlier. There's a project called Funkari. They're an alpha server. They did they did three three collabs a day since launch. I mean, you think about how much noise goes through that channel. The problem with collabs and kind of where a lot of my business model is actually built is building these catered these catered marketing plans because so many people who run agencies or different marketing vessels for projects just do collabs. Like that's all they do. They just do collab rounds and collab rounds don't work. There's too much noise. And so you kind of have to find find a nice sweet spot. That's- so tell me, what is that sweet spot? Like how, how do you differentiate? Because I, I agree with you. Um, and I, I think that this uh, collab uh, idea or collab management, I don't think it will be the same in by the end of this year. I think it's going to really change. So so tell me what you're doing. How, how are you differentiating? Yeah, so the big thing, I mean, the big thing is... Catering to the brand, you know, as I kind of said at the beginning, you know, IP needs to be handled with like a different, a different level of intentionality. And there's so much more you can do with it, you know, whenever you have a brand that has that established IP. And so I would say the, the big thing is creating funnels. You know, I use, I use collabs as I wouldn't say the top of the funnel, but the top of a funnel, you know, I use collabs as a funnel, you know, if you win a collab, you get something, but you don't get the most valuable thing. You know, I use the collabs as a way to bring people into the community and actually bring them into these different engagement vessels where they can engage and get to know the community and engage in software. So like one example, a project I'm working with right now called three year bunny, we went and did collab rounds and we gave out three year bunny crates, which are essentially a, a, mystery box that holds an amount of our in discord currency which you can use to go play the different games we've built you know and so yes we are giving them something it doesn't have monetary value but it's essentially a way to get them kickstarted into the game so we can still get the exposure without sacrificing the quality of holders because the other side of collabs that a lot of people miss is it's user acquisition the people you give spots to are the people in your community if you go give spots to a bunch of people who don't care about your community, you're not going to have a community. You know, you have to be incredibly intentional with who you give spots to and how you give spots out to actually build a community. And that's something a ton of people miss is community management is 
equally reliant on collab management because you have to not only get the right users, but you have to engage them well. And those are kind of the two sides of the coin that make a good community. And that, I mean, allow you to actually, yeah, I mean, <laughs> build a successful community. Yeah. And that's why, for example, um, with uh, with our uh, free uh, PFP drop, basically we are asking people to log into the platform um, to to um, you know to get uh, allow list right and and um, to be able to kind of enter the raffle. Um, and some people have been saying um, like uh, it seems like quite a long um, <laughs> you know uh, procedure to yeah. uh, to do that. And I'm like, if you can't be bothered logging into the platform and like joining a session to get a feel for what we're doing, so then this is not the right community for you. Because otherwise, yep. basically, all you're saying is just give me a free spot so that I can sell it and exactly. make some money, right? Like, and uh, <laughs> and that's why when the team said, you know, can we uh, or so and so community is saying, can we do it without? <laughs> I was like, no, because that yeah, the purpose, no, right? I I completely get that. I mean, I think you have a great mindset there. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly why I allocate spots the way I do. You know, I think a lot of collab managers actually don't like working with me because I always have these complex systems. It's never you get a spot direct to contract. No one gets direct to contract spots. At the very least, you have to join the Discord and get a role. For some of them, it's go and play our game. For some of them, it's, you know, for you, you know, it's go join our platform. You know, you need to have these deeper levels of engagement because they allow you to better curate. Because I mean, that's that's what you need to do if you want to be successful. You have to find the attention that's willing to pay attention to you and, and acquire yeah. that. Yeah. And, and also even people who say, oh, I'm not interested in education. Actually, when they get engaged, they are interested. Like, for example, oh, yeah. last week, last week, we had an amazing session about um, Bitcoin ordinals, you know, and, and we had in depth, like 75 minutes, we were all really glued to it. And then we, like on Friday, we had a session about how to use chat GPT. And, and it's like, mm. you know, on a Friday afternoon, people are sitting there watching, learning about that and asking questions. And that session went on for nearly 90 minutes, you know? So um, I think, you know, the, the level of the kind of things that we are teaching are really, really useful you know, um, uh, things for, for this space. And then we are also going to be creating other brands uh, within it. Like for example, we are gonna have Fempeak, which is focused on uh, women empowerment. Then we are gonna have another brand that is focused more on peak form, which is gonna be focused on, uh, you know, wellness and and uh, being on your peak form. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. so like, so we are gonna have that. And, and then there will be other communities that are gonna have their own brands uh, on the platform. So, um, uh, you know, I think there's, there's always, interest in these things but um but people have gotten in this space have gotten used to the idea of getting something for free and selling it and making some quick buck even if it's yeah. like you know uh, even if it's just like 50 quid they will they will sell their soul for it right so oh, so we yeah. need to change that mindset and it's just about slowing people down a little bit uh, to to get them to show interest in something a little bit deeper and then they realize that actually you know it's kind of like once you eat your vegetables it's not that bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like that. Well, Carson, this has been very interesting. Do you want to um, leave us with some last um, last words about maybe about house, where you're going with that and or anything else where, where people can find you? What do you want, um, you know, them? To, what kind of action do you want them to take? Uh, how can they follow your your progress? 
Very interesting. I'll leave you with my my Twitter handle. People can check me out there. I got some pretty amazing things coming. I am working on a media brand called The Builder's Block, which is rolling out very soon. Actually, we've been doing proof of concept for pretty much all the media we're going to be distributing, and it's all gone better than I could have expected. So lots of really exciting things coming. You can check out my Twitter. My Twitter handle is CaptainCKETH. Look it up on Twitter. Check me out. But good things coming. I encourage everyone to stay tuned. I'm sure if you haven't heard of the Builder's Block, you're going to hear of the Builder's Block. I know it. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. That's great. And I look forward also to having you on the platform with um, a live audience, maybe with Holly, you know, to do um, a, a more in-depth session on all things collab management as well. Yeah, I'd love it. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Carson, also known as Captain CK. Be sure to give him a follow on Twitter at Builders Block. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe to it on Apple, Spotify, or any other one of your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to give it a five-star rating and write a review. The full interviews are also available on my YouTube channel, The Somi Ariane Show.